Here they come! Welcome to episode 67 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Jeff McGee to discuss the Kryptonian Battle of Superman 2, from General, Would You Care to Step Outside, to So, He's a Coward After All. US number 31, calling McMurdo. Come in, over. U.S. number 31 calling McMurdo. Urgent. Come in. Over. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Eric. How are you? I'm all right. I'm okay. The weather outside is pretty horrible. It's snowing again, um, even though it's the middle of March. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got a weather front coming from Siberia, um, dumping lots of snow on us at the moment. But uh, you, you know, I'll trade you. I'm in Texas last Saturday it was 80 degrees. Monday it was 40 degrees. Yesterday it was 80 degrees again. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's quite a difference, isn't it? Yeah, I will take consistent cold over up and down any day of the week. The I I, I went out the, this morning and it was one de- degree, and but the wind chill factor is about minus 10 at the moment. Okay, that's a little chilly. Yes, I will give you that. But I'm indoors, the heating works, I'm sat talking to you, I've got a glass of wine, everything is fine with the world, okay? Absolutely. And we're talking Superman. Um, For the second time only, uh, we're discussing Superman on this show. Uh, With Chris, we discussed Superman, the the movie. So here we are with Superman 2. First question for you today then, Jeff, is... um, where are you with Superman uh, as a comic character, as a fan? Superman is actually my favorite superhero. Um, and it's it's upsetting to me that we only have a handful of good Superman movies, personal opinion. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, you know, Batman is obviously a close second. But uh, Superman, as I, as I get older, I find that I have less of a taste for the edginess of Batman. And I really just like what Superman stands for. He's always just, you know, it's just that the, the, the thing I love about it and I, Quentin Tarantino actually got this wrong. He was quoted one time as saying, uh, Superman is not his alter ego. Clark Kent is his alter ego. Whereas with Batman, Bruce Wayne is who he is. And Batman is his alter ego. I think he got those flipped. Mm. Bruce Wayne is Batman. Bruce Wayne is his, is his disguise. And I feel like Superman is Clark Kent. That's who he is. Superman is his disguise. Mm. And I think uh, it just says a lot about uh, nature versus nurture. And I've just always loved the fact that he, you know, Superman is, is the, the ultimate immigrant (laughs) because he's here from another planet and he's, he's, he's adopted this world as his own. And all he wants to do is protect it and do what's right. And that's just something that I, I, I guess um, I've always sort of looked up to. And I've just, honestly, the, the blue and red costume has always just really 
caught my eye. I'm big on color. If you ever listen to my one of my other podcasts, Comics with Kenobi, color is a big thing to me. And the red, blue, and yellow uh, tights, for lack of a better word, and cape, uh, have always just been very striking to me. So mm. as shallow as that sounds, <laughs> I like his costume. <laughs> yeah. I, Superman, 2 is, Superman 2 is my favorite of all the Superman films, so I'm very happy to be talking about it here with you. Yeah, I, I match you. This is my favorite, even though I love the the the, the first one. Um, this is I do too, a, and actually, I like Superman three quite a bit as well. I'll put that out there as well. I know a lot of people hate it. I like Superman three. There, I, I I like all three of them because they are comic books. I mean, this one has got the action of a comic book film, hasn't it? You know, um, um, very much. You know, Superman three to me has the silliness of like the fifties Superman comics. You know, absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, deep down, I I would say my favorite superhero is Batman, but I responded far more to Superman because what you're saying there, it's the fact that, you know, the ideals of the character, the fact that he's there to protect us. He's a father fig figure, if you like. And when I was very small and reading comics, you know, I responded to Superman because I had a pretty crappy father and there weren't any positive male role figures in my life and superman is the one who you look to it's all right superman will look after us you know and you always trust him to make the right decision yeah 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 and then when superman the movie came along you know christopher reeve you know i i, I know he gets respect and admiration for what he did but it's very much to me understated he to me is the perfect superman something about his performance very often when you read comics or read books and then you see the film or tv adaptation of it it's not what you have in your head because in your head your imagination has turned it into your version of it but christopher reeve is the only time ever with a i don't know gregory peck in To Kill a Mockingbird as Atticus is the only other time where there's been somebody who is absolutely how I imagined the, him in my head. And there there he is up on that big screen. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I, I would agree with you. I think uh, Gregory Peck and Christopher Reeve are probably the closest we've come to a literary character. And I do, I do consider comic books literature, and I especially consider Superman a literary character, uh, to being... Uh, just eerily accurately portrayed on on screen, and uh, I don't know if it if it helped that Christopher Reeve was an unknown at the time, uh, and this obviously is sort of his his Luke Skywalker. It's what he was known for. He was a wonderful actor. Do you think that Christopher Reeve will ever be bettered as Superman? Honestly, don't think so. Uh, which is not to say that there aren't plenty of actors out there who are capable. I think a lot of it has to do with the moment that the film was made. This was the first, this was the first, you know, big budget superhero film we ever got. And I thought Brandon Routh in Superman Returns was, was pretty good. But the, the problem you had, well, there are problems with that film that we're not going to, we won't discuss today. But the, the real charm of Christopher Reeve's performance to me has been based, always been that it was a dual role for all intents and purposes. He was playing Clark Kent and he was playing Superman and they were two very distinct personalities but you were able to believe they existed within the same person. And that's extremely difficult to do. And I really don't think we're ever going to find anyone who's going to be able to recapture that charm is just because movies are different nowadays. I don't know mm -hmm. that you can make 
either one of these Superman films today and have them work. No, especially I wish somebody the way, could try. Yeah, but the, the the way the DC universe has gone now, everything is so you know serious and dark and gritty. Even his costume, you know, is just so dark <laughs> and serious right. you know no 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 we won't i don't i don't think we'll get this i mean i say this time and time again the thing i like about these superman films is they are escapism it's the same reason i i, I love thor ragnarok is you can go into the theater you watch this film you forget about the real world and you watch this and it is pure escapism whereas the dc universe films that they're making now it's like yeah, there's terrorists. Yeah, there's this, that, and the other. And it's just a reminder of what's out there when you walk out the lobby and go out into the car park, you know? Yeah, exactly. And who who wants that? You don't want to go to a superhero movie to be bummed out. No. That, that, exactly. That's that, that, Brilliant. Brilliant, Jeff. That's exactly the capsule comment for this show, is this is the appeal of these films. And I don't think you'll ever capture it again. I can't see us ever going back to that. And that's why I go back to these, because if I want a superhero film... I'll, I'll pull one of these out. Even Superman 3, you know, as flawed as it is, there is stuff in it that, um, you know, is, is magical to me. Oh, yeah, the Superman versus Superman scene is one of my favorite yeah. scenes in any film ever. Yeah, and the other thing that you said there about, you know, Christopher Reeve is playing two roles, the thing that I cite always, it's it's the perfect example I can give for how brilliant Christopher Reeve is, is that moment when he and Lois are at Niagara Falls and he decides to tell her that he is actually Superman and he's Clark Kent, he's in that, you know, uh, Starsky and Hutch type, you know, white jumper and he takes his glasses <laughs> right. off and, and just by moving his shoulders up and back he becomes Superman in camera you don't need special effects, that's all through body language, he has transformed from Clark Kent into Superman and this is the genius of Christopher Reeve to me Oh absolutely, and again, you, you cannot discount the acting that, it take, that is required to the acting chops that are required to do that because it's it's not as simple as just rolling your shoulders back, raising your head up. There there is a change. It's all in the eyes, and you can see mm. it. I'm an actor. I'm I'm not nearly an actor on nearly the scale, that, uh, the level that Christopher Reeve was, obviously. But every time I watch something like that, it just amazes me. I just want to know how how did he do that? How do how do they do that? And that to me is. You know, the show is effectively speaking. I think the greatest special effect that these films had was their lead. Uh, mm. As corny as that sounds, Christopher Reeve's acting ability is just otherworldly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, you know, personally, there's only three films in my life that I've had such an in intense emotional reaction to. Okay, there was The Elephant Man. Okay, which when I left All there, right. I, I I was a blubbering wreck. Okay, when I had that. Close Encounters, okay, which is the nearest thing I've ever had to a religious ecstasy, uh, okay, and this one. And I remember distinctly, when I watched this film in, in the cinema, I came out and I had such, I was so pumped up, I had such an, an, an adrenaline rush. I can remember running to the bus stop to catch my bus home and just running as fast <laughs> as I could at the side of the road because there were people on the pavement and just 
bombing down that road because I was just, <laughs> you know, I was just, so, this was everything. You know, I'd been reading comics for, you know, 15 years. And now on the screen is superheroes fighting and doing stuff. And it's Superman. That is the real Superman. And I can remember just being so, such a natural high from that, you, you know, and films after that <laughs> have never matched that for me. Yeah, you kind of peaked early there. I did a bit, yes, yeah. That was me. That was me with uh, the Star Wars and Indiana Jones films. I Superman three is the only original films that I saw in the theater. Uh, right. Because when Superman, when Superman the movie came out, I was just too young. Superman two, I was still not old enough to go to the movies by myself, and it just wasn't on my radar. Um, but uh, Superman three, I went. I remember I went with uh, a friend of mine who was spending the night. We went to see it, and just I had kind of the same experience leaving. Uh, I just enjoyed it so much, and and again that you know that score is what always I would mm-hmm. I would watch. My memories of Superman and Superman two are watching it on TV when they would play it on Sunday nights, and I would have trouble going to sleep because those final shots of both both films. I don't know if they do it in three. I think they do, where he's he's flying off into space and he looks right at the camera, smiles, and flies off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right as the music swells, made it hard for me to go to sleep for school on Monday morning because I was so excited. So I understand completely. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. Yeah, it, it, it is in. There? Yeah, it is in number three. And when I first introduced our children to the Superman films, uh, towards the end, I would always say, "Is he going to look at you? Is he going to smile at you?" You know, and <laughs> our children then were about three or four or something like that. You know, and yeah, yeah, you know, I set it up. Oh. Here he comes. Is he going to look at you? And it is. I mean, that moment when he just comes up and he smiles at the camera. I mean, that that is a brilliant moment. Even now, that's a brilliant moment. And I can't think of any other actor now who would do that, who would get in that suit, you know, and, you know, smile into the camera and you would get that emotional response to. Chris Evans as Captain America is about the closest I could come. I just respond to his performance uh, a lot more than I do most, but it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same because that's not the character he's playing. Mm. But that's, that's, that's the only, that's the only actor that I, and, and character that I could think of that, that even comes close. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. All right. I mean, I'm, you were saying there also, you know, that Christopher Lee, uh, Lee, Christopher Reeve was um, unknown. And I think that was part of the appeal of these first Superman films is that, um, at that time, I didn't know who Gene Hackman was. I didn't know who Marlon Brando was. I didn't know who Terence Stamp was. Um, and I instantly had a crush on Sarah Douglas in this film, you know. Um, well, of yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not? All right. I, <laughs> I think we'll pause now and go for a clip, all right? All right. Let's do it. General, haven't you ever heard of freedom of the press? Superman. Superman, thank God. I mean, get him! Come to me, son of Jarrell! Kneel before Zod! Now, I've watched this sequence twice. Uh, first, the Richard Lester cut. 
okay, which is the version that came out theatrically, um, and then the Richard Donner cut that was out on the Blu-ray box set. Now, which version have you watched, Jeff? I have seen both, but uh, to prep for this, I just went back to the Richard Donner. To be honest, it's kind of uh, this may be her- heresy, but it's my preferred version. All right. Okay. Well, what I've, the, I've the, decided the, the to do. All right. Um, I mean, it's pretty well known that much of part two was filmed at the same as time as part one by Richard Donner. But after having a falling out with the Saulkinds, Donner walked away and Re- Lester was called in to finish number two. And he's the one who's responsible for a lot of the humor in the film. So I thought what we'll do is if we talk about the Richard Lester version, the theatrical version, and I'll mention where the Donner cut differs. All right. For me, like I said, I've seen it. I just haven't. It's been probably two or three years since I watched that version. All right. Okay. All right. Well, our sequence, it starts with Superman returning to Metropolis, um, disturbing the newspapers on the newsstands. And we get that, you know, classic John Williams anthem playing, don't we? Yes. And I, I, I love this opening because I, and if I'm jumping ahead, I apologize, but he, he's floating outside the window and he looks at Zod and he says, General, would you care to step outside? Hmm. And it's maybe the coolest Superman ever was in this series, which is okay because he's not supposed to be cool. He's supposed to be kind of dorky. He's supposed to be you know, stodgy and, and applaud that he's kicking a little bit of attitude to General Zod here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it, it always just makes me smile. Yeah. The first difference we've got here is in the Richard Donner cut, there is no John Williams music as he comes down the street and disturbs those papers. And when he lands on the flagpole, he doesn't say, would you care to step outside? He says, General, have you never heard of freedom of the press? Now, I prefer, <laughs> you know, would you care to step outside? I do, too, because freedom of the press is just it sounds like a bad joke. It is. Which, it's surprisingly, a joke, that joke. seems. That seems like something that would be more uh, in that, that would be more at home in the Richard Lester cut because of all the mm. the humor that he inserted because of the silly humor. Yeah, no, no, no. Right. But yeah, no, no, no. The Donner one has the corny line. Um, but then we get Lex Luthor's. You know, thank God. I mean, get him. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so Superman flies off, and we get the line, the line of all Superman's for me. The Terence Stamp line of, you know, <laughs> well, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Go ahead and say it. Right. <laughs> Come here, Superman. Kneel before Zod. And I love it. I, I mean, if that was a GIF, if that was a YouTube clip of like five seconds, I could watch that over and over all day long. You know? Kneel before Zod! You know, a, a good superhero movie is only as it's villain, and I think Terrence is possibly the maybe next to obviously next to Heath Ledger's Joker, but uh, is possibly the greatest Superman, uh, greatest superhero villain in any film ever. Next to absolutely, Heath absolutely. I mean, I love his delivery. I love his face. Um, I love the way he points to the ground as he says it. Neil, and he points to the ground. I mean, he knows what this is. He knows this is camp. You know, um, you know, but and it's fun, you know, and he he is sending everything up. He's but he's having fun doing it, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. He is. He is chewing the scenery in the best way possible. <laughs> and that, again, that's what you need here. That's what and, and that's why you hire a British actor, because nobody chews the scenery better and more realistically than than the Brits. Yeah, I mean, 
I instantly fell in love with Terence Stamp and, you know, I made it a mission afterwards of seeking out, you know, all his other roles, you know. And he, he is one of those people who have so much char- charisma on screen, you know, they're just mesmerizing. And uh, I, I read his autobiography, which is fascinating, and I urge people to go out and get it. You know, his life in London during the swinging 60s when he's sharing a flat with Michael Caine. You know, brilliant oh, reading. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's such a cool guy, and I love him. I love him to bits. If, 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 I, had, if, if I had an autobiography movie made, I want Terence Stamp to play me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> At every age, because we know he could do it. He could do it. I mean, he's brilliant. Even <laughs> even the crappy films he's in, you know, I, I, I don't care. I'll watch it because it's Terrence Stamp, you know? Yeah, I was so excited when I found out he was in episode one, The Menace, and then all he did was stand up and sit down. Uh, it was a <laughs> little bit of a letdown. That but is he did, the disappointment. He did that with, with authority. <laughs> I mean, oh, for God. So how can you waste... Terence Stamp. You've got Terence Stamp and that's all you do with him? For God's sake. I mean, that's a, a clear indicator of what was going wrong with those prequels. You, that you've got Terence bloody Stamp and that's you just have him stand up, sit down. You know? For God's sake. Lucas found a way to make him boring. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's a talent. Right. But in the Richard <laughs> Donner cut, the Richard Donner cut does have this. It, it's still there. But Superman doesn't fly off before Zod says it, okay? And when he does, he flies left instead of right. Now, I don't know why they made a change there, you know, but, yeah, apparently, yeah, in the Richard Donner, he goes left. In Richard Lester, he goes right. I have a theory behind that. Um, So Richard Lester's whole uh, sort of aesthetic with this was to make it look like a comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, they moved. They removed a lot of the gliding camera. They just did horizontal panning and static framing. Evoke comic books. Mm-hmm. And one thing I didn't notice is the action was all photographed from one angle. Right. So I, 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 I'm wondering if he just did that because in a comic book it would make more sense for him to fly off to, to the right, off of the page, rather than to the left, back to the other page. So you're saying you move right to move to the next frame on the comic? Yeah, that's a good point. Makes sense to me. I'll buy it. Yeah, okay. Well, after that, we get a pretty terrible thing. We get the rubbish dummies smashing out the windows. They are patently dummies being thrown at, you know, fake glass, aren't they? Right. Right, yes, they are. And, you know, they have to, you have to assume that they never thought people were going to be watching this on large high-def televisions yeah. uh, with uh, ultra-high-def video. So. With a repeat function where you can rewind and just watch it over and over again. Yeah, yeah. This is the problem that you have with the Ray Harryhausen films and everything, where they are under such scrutiny now that they were never, ever meant to have. Right, and you you see that a lot. There are a couple of things in this film that I think, well, had I watched this in the theater in 1981, it probably wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have even noticed. But since I've seen it several, several times on on home video, they're the things that stick out. Much like the dummies. It's it's, it's comical and it just makes me laugh every time now. Yeah, I mean, the next thing we've got, we've got some very so-so flying effects um, with some quite terrible stops and turns where they're flying stop turn. But I can't remember um, thinking that that looked bad back in the theatre when I was watching it, you know, when upon its release. I, I think, yeah, we are. We're, we're, too, we're too, you know, spoilt now with brilliant special effects to look at it now. You know, you're looking at it with different eyes, aren't you? Oh, I remember when I was a kid. Okay, well, they're this. They'll never need to do anything else to show somebody fly because this is it. It looks like they're flying. And you watch it now, and 
oh yeah, clearly they're not even in the same. The the, the background is clearly not even in the same frame as the person who's flying. It's it's it right. is it's. It's interesting because I, as I'm watching this, and if I'm getting ahead of you, I apologize. But as I'm watching this, I'm thinking about the same sequence in Man of Steel at the end of Man of Steel when he and Zod mm-hmm. were fighting in Metropolis, and just how much different that sequence was than this one, and how much less satisfying it was despite being more realistic. And yeah. I, we can talk about that a little bit later if you like. But just the thing that kept coming to mind was this is the the pace of this is sort of slow, but but still, it's just a more satisfying experience because these yeah. actors are all much more engaging and the characters are much more engaging and the the pace of it is just much, much more fun. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. And I like the next bit. I like how they have Zod. He lands on a building site next to a conveniently placed framework, you know, of girders <laughs> because he right. jumps down and suddenly, you know, you've <laughs> there's another image of him in that frame. Um, and that's how they've uh, composited the two shots together. Obviously, the uh, they were hampered by the technology of, of the era, but I feel like they worked around it pretty well. Uh, even the shot where Superman lands on that on that ledge, uh, you know, it's it's dark, and they so that it you don't notice the wires and you don't notice any of it. And and yeah, and and you're absolutely right. When when Zod lands, it's from a it's a, it's a it's from pretty far away, but it works, and you yeah. buy it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Zod uses his heat vision to, you know, break a chain and throws a concrete wall at Superman, who blows it apart with his. Now, that's rear projection there. You've got Christopher Reeve standing in front of a cinema screen, and he's acting to the footage being shown on the screen. And, you know, his reaction is brilliant. You know, he sells it the way he clenches his teeth and turns away, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely. That's and that's what you have to have. You have to have somebody who's if you believe the emotion on the actor, you'll believe just about any special effect that's coming toward you, regardless of how effective the effect is. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I did notice, though, is, is that you don't have a lot of action happening in the same frame. There's a lot of cutting around things. Mm. You don't ever see somebody throw something and see it land in the same no. frame uh, for obvious reasons. But again, it works. And as a kid. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. In the Richard Donner cut, we get a change in dialogue for Zod. Um, He says a fool, like father, like son, at this moment, when um, Superman decides to uh, fly away. Interesting. Yeah, I'd forgotten Mm. about that. Yeah, because it sort of reminds you that he has a history with... with Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a a total throwback to the last film, isn't it? Um, but Superman, he flies right. off, and we get we, we get a chase over a twilight New York. Now, in the Richard Donner cut, we get completely different close-up shots of the baddies, um, much more in the way of miniatures of them flying down through the miniature streets and between the buildings. Uh, the music's different, and um, a whole scene. I mean, you know, this is meant to be Metropolis, but it's New York. And what's coming up next... Is, is is completely missing from the Lester version, which is uh, where Zod kicks Superman into the Statue of Liberty's torch. Yeah, didn't did we not see that in an in something else though? Because I I saw that in the Richard Donner cut. You see, you see remember- Superman crash, and he looks a bit angry, and he gets back up, and and you can see girders in the background. But in the Donner version, it's very apparent that that is the Statue of Liberty, and he's crashed into the torch 
of the Statue of Liberty. I wonder why they chose to change that for the Lester version. I'm assuming he changes Lester to get to 51% of the film reshot so that he could get his directorial credit. But <laughs> that seems like something that I, I it seems like just sort of an arbitrary change. I could understand it if they didn't want to upset the American public by defacing the Statue of Liberty. Right, might have been but that. Yeah, I, 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 that's it. That, you know, it's the only thing I can figure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, the whole thing about you know percentages g- gives you the director credit. The next thing um, that's missing is when um, in the Leicester version, Ursa accidentally hits Non with a flagpole, and you get a guy with some right. poodles very campily saying, you know, "Wow, home run," um, which always got a laugh. I, I used to watch this. I mean, um, in the cinema I was working in. Very often we'd get a Superman one and two double bill, so I would watch all the you know the action sequences, and this always got a laugh. That wow, you know, home run. But in the Donna version, that's all gone. Instead, all you've got is Ursa saying, "What you'd hit a woman," you know? Exactly, and and again, it's it's interesting because that that humor is very much what people complain about in Superman three, hmm. and. As I watch it now, it is a bit groan-inducing, mm. but uh, the, you know the the film is just so charming in every other way that it doesn't really bother me. But I, I'll be honest, I, some of these insert shots that he did, and again, I'm assuming a lot of these were done a to sort of make it his own film, but b to pad that 51 percent because a lot yeah. of it is just unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you're right. I mean, um, the next bit that comes out, you know, Non is trapped under a tower and the tower is toppled and Superman catches it uh, just before it, you know, squashes a woman and a pram. Watching it now for a podcast, you're watching it and, it and questions come up which you never thought of when you've watched it before. And one of them is, why is this woman going out for a walk with her, you know, baby in a pram when all this destruction is going on all the way around her? Right, and why would she just stand underneath as something's falling? She doesn't even try to move. Exactly, and she just stands there and screams. Yeah, now you go, oh. Um, I like the next bit, though, when Zod says, uh, I found his weakness. This Superman is nothing of the kind. He cares. And I like Ursa's reply, what, like pets, you know? Right, and, and that just sort of tells you everything you need about these guys. That's yeah. the difference between these and Superman is they see themselves as superior because of the things they do. Mm. It never even crossed his mind. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, it, and again, it goes to back to that nature versus nurture, uh, you know, argument you can make because of the Kents. You know, this, this is the the influence of the Kents. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I know which side I'd be on <laughs> between these two, but. Right. Uh, yeah, Zod, he uses his heat vision to explode fuel tanks of the vehicles. And this is really good. This is real practical effects, you know, at Pinewood. They've this is made my favorite the... of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I love yeah, this the is, fact... This is my favorite of all these effects. Yeah, I love it. I love the fact that they've constructed a real street in Pinewood. This is all indoors. It's not, yeah, you know, on, like, on location. This is all indoors in a, in a hangar. Okay, they've made... A metropolis street they've got real vehicles there and they're blowing them up <laughs> you know? no it is it's a, it's a lot of fun and again you've got people and again it reminds me to go back to what i was saying before about uh, the comparable scene of steel 
at most you're destroying three to four blocks of let's face it manhattan uh it's, it's not metropolis it's clearly manhattan mm-hmm. whereas in man of steel you know they destroyed most of the city and i think i read it would have been something like dollars worth of worth of damage and something like two million lives lost as a result of this we don't get that same amount of carnage the only fault I will find with this is you can really tell they did a good job with dressing the set, but you can very much tell which scenes were filmed in the studio and which ones were filmed on location in New York during the first round of shooting. But again, it's really hard to mask that. But in response to Zod trying to blow up the uh, the tanker, the uh, the gas tank it. on the uh, the semi truck. I love I love yeah yeah you're talking about the 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 wing mirror turn it around and fire it yes. back up at Zod and I love the way you know the attention to detail you know Zod do, does his whole ah, like that and when he when he moves away you've got a perfect um shape of him that's untouched on the billboard behind him yeah it's it that that is humorous but it's but it's not it's not campy it's just oh ha that's that's funny because that's exactly what would happen it's just yeah. a Zod shaped Zod-shaped uh, area that's untouched. Yeah, but again, I mean, why are people just standing around and looking? If this starts happening in front of you, you're off, aren't you? <laughs> you're off in the opposite direction. You, know, you don't stand there and watch it. New York in the '70s was a different time, Eric. It was a different Maybe time that's in a what different it place. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Those folks were not as scared of anything. Yeah, yeah. All However, right. Well, once uh, once the the manhole start popping up, then I, I would imagine I would probably find my way home yeah that's the next bit non has knocked superman underground and we hear the fight but we don't see it all we all we've got is the manhole covers coming up don't we um, we do and i love i don't know how they did it but when non shoves him down through the pavement i love the way that looks that holds up today i, I ran that back several times trying to find what they had done and i just i can't find any seams in that trick i think it's sped up i think that's what it is um, I think it's all real, it's all happening, but they've sped it up, and that's why you can't see it, you know? Right. But it does, yeah, yeah. it doesn't look sped up. I just, yeah, as opposed to when they threw the body, the uh, dummies out the window, they just, they cut it just the right moment on that yeah, one. It just they did. works really yeah. well. It does work real well. And what works real well is when Non comes back out, you know, right. he smashes up through <laughs> the ground, up into a building, right through it, and out the other side. I mean, this very much is a precursor to modern superhero films. I mean, you know, like, you know, The Man of Steel, where you do get this level of destruction, don't you? Well, and you're going to have it, you know, and that's, you know, when, when Superman flew off earlier, we were talking about Zod calling him a coward. I assumed it was to move to try to move them away from the populated area. But then yeah. they came right back. So maybe not. But yeah, it's and and it's interesting that we're we're just now getting to the point where we're worrying about that sort of thing. Yes, because I remember back when I was a kid thinking, you know, when would the next sequence is Zod and Superman fighting on top of this lady's car? I remember thinking. Wow, who's going to pay to fix her car when I was a kid? <laughs> These are the oh, things dear, I thought of as an eight-year-old. Yeah, but just before that, we get one of my favorite moments, which is when Ursa does the whole manhole cover thing, you know, the Superman. Oh, yeah. Now, apparently, Sarah Douglas did that first take. That is a first take where she hits the bit of wood and flips it up and catches the manhole cover, which, you know, brilliant. It is brilliant, but I do have to wonder about the logistics of it because that two by four is not a Kryptonian two by four. That's true. So you're saying it so would have just would snapped. That, I, I'm assuming it would have just snapped. I'll give him the mulligan because again, it looks cool. 
looks really cool. She does it with such aplomb, and and, and knowing that she did it first take is is really impressive. Mm. But uh, that always bugged me, even as a kid. I was like, wait a minute, that wouldn't that would that would okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> I think you were a very thoughtful child there, Jeff. You were thinking I, I think, too much. I, I, yeah, I spent way too much time thinking about things like this. This is the same kid that I wanted my action figures to be able to uh, go to the go to the grocery store. So I didn't like action figures that didn't have shirts on because no shirt, <laughs> no shoes, no service. So that was a that was a thing when I was a kid too. Yeah. Yep, you were thinking far too much. All right, okay. Um, yeah, so Superman, he's thrown across into that car, and as he recovers, Zod lands and throws him into the side of a Mal- Marlboro van. Yeah, now, very that's, subtle product placement. That, if I was, my, my word in my notes is blatant, you know? <laughs> and it's really odd now, in this world that we're in now, to see, you know, cigarette advertising like that. Oh yeah, and it, it was uh, it was there was a little bit of a controversy about it at the time, and what's funny is, uh, in the real world, tobacco delivery trucks are unmarked for security reasons. Yeah, you're taking all my behind the scenes info. I'm terribly <laughs> sorry, Eric. I'm terribly sorry. I I did some I, research of my own, but yes, I did not know that until I started researching for this that they are actually unmarked. I didn't know that at all. I've ne- I went, as I thought about it, I thought I've never seen a Marlboro pickup. I've never seen a. I don't even know who who the cigarette makers are these days anymore, thankfully. Um, but yeah, I I after after I thought about it, I thought that's that's true. Huh. It's very weird, you know, cigarettes, you, you know, advertising. I I remember we, you know, when I started in the early eighties in cinema, we used to have cigarette adverts, and I always remember they were bloody long. Sometimes they were like a uh, um, like silk cut. I don't know if that's a brand you. you get in america but there was a brand over here called silk cut and you most adverts would be about like 30 seconds but the cigarette adverts were always about like a minute and a half they took ages to put together and 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 they would be quite well, it takes fancy. a while to indoctrinate children well that what with, with a silk cut you would have a minute and a half you'd see this like purple fabric a minute and a half of purple fabric being spread across a dam. If you imagine the dam in the first Superman, you know, the dam that breaks? Okay, yeah, right. If you imagine a minute and a half of watching purple material being spread across a dam, and at the very end, um, there's uh, a tear in it, which goes from the top to the bottom, and the at the end of the advert, it says silk cut, because the silk has been cut, you know? It was that sort of advert, you know? <laughs> Uh, again very, on Facebook, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to try and find that and put that up on Facebook because that's what I remember about you know cig- cigarette advertising. They were very poncy, they were very fancy, and they were very arty to take away from the fact that you're giving cancer to people. You know? <laughs> well, and see over here, they weren't. There were there were no cigarette advertisements. You would see ads in magazines, but commercials. I never saw one. Really, never heard one on the radio. Never saw one. Even at that point. By the early 80s, they had already cut that out. You could still advertise in magazines, but not on television or radio. I know the magazines because, you know, occasionally I buy an American magazine, you know, because, you know, there was a feature on a film that I wanted to see. And I remember flicking through it and, and they always tended to be, um, you know, cowboys in cigarette adverts right. in magazines. Yeah. I always seem yeah. to remember for some strange reason. Cowboys or, or women playing tennis. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. But anyway, the next bit is is one of my favourite moments in this sequence, which is when uh, Superman picks up Zod 
and throws him, and that's patently... Oh, that's not just any throw. That's a hammer throw. That's an Olympic-level hammer throw he does. It, it is. He, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't think of a faker dummy that they would have used. And the way that... that it's not so much when, you know... Superman's twirling him around. It, it's when he lets go of him, and almost immediately gravity gravity takes hold, and he starts falling down. You know, he looks rubbish. He looks all right in the next shot when he hits. Oh, what a surprise! More product placement. The Coca Cola sign, doesn't he? Yeah, a little bit. And you know what's funny to me though is when he starts the when he starts the twirl. Uh, it almost looks like that's still Terrence Stamp. It is Terrence Stamp. Yeah. Okay. And and again, I. Christopher Reeve worked out for Superman and Superman 2. And, yeah, that is Terrence Stamp being picked up by Christopher Reeve and started to be twirled around. I couldn't do that with our 11-year-old now, let alone well, they, a grown man. I'm assuming they had him rigged up on a wire or something uh, to make that I work. don't know. No, 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 no. With wires, you get into a problem. As soon as you start turning in circles like that, the wires get caught up. up. I, yeah. I think that's real. I think that is actually Christopher Reeve actually wow. picking up Terrence Stamp. Anyone on Facebook, anyone listening to this, go onto Facebook and tell us that we're wrong, but I'm pretty darn sure the initial part of this shot is the real Christopher Reeve twirling the <laughs> original real Terrence Stamp. Because it's not just that he picks him up. I mean, he does like a full like turn and a half with him. He does. He does. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But yeah, right. the, the Coca-Cola product placement is, is pretty blatant, though. It is blatant. Um, Ursa and Non, they take a bus with an ad for Avita on the side. Again, more product placement. Um, that, I, I'm trying to decide if that's product placement or if that was maybe just something... Uh, because the Avita had premiered in, I believe, 79 on Broadway. Mm -hmm. So it, that may have just been a bus that they found. Yeah, but this is in... I, I don't think this is on location. I think this is still Pinewood. Um, is it still Pinewood? Okay. Because they're, if it's they're, Pinewood... They're list, like, they list the address of the theater and everything, so I, I yeah. wasn't sure. But Maybe it is location then. Okay. But they throw it at Superman, and I, this is what I love about this film, is this is way, 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 way before CGI. If you're going to throw a lorry, if you're going to throw a bus at a person, you've got to do it. You know? Right. <laughs> and, and this is... They actually did it. They dragged a bus on its side along the road. It's it's amazing, and it looks, you know, it moves slow, but it looks like a bus being dragged across the ground, it, and it's it's great. Yeah, and you believe it, don't you? The only thing I don't believe is the, uh, well, we didn't talk about it when when uh, Zod threw Superman or he threw whoever got thrown through the Marlboro truck. It really punctured pretty easily, and yeah. so that Marlboro truck's still there. So that's the only thing it doesn't really look real, but uh, yeah, you're I, right. I guess it's possible it was just thin metal. Yeah, it, it is. It's when Superman... Yeah, it, it's it's like it's made out of the foil that you get on the top of a wine bottle, isn't it? You know, it just folds back too easily yes. and too quickly. Yeah, you're absolutely Easy. right. But that's the truck that, oh, what a surprise, Superman gets squashed between the, the, the bus and the Marlboro truck. So more product placement. And, okay, so... As the people start crawling out of the out of the bus, I have to mention this because I just noticed it. When the guy, I, there, there's a shot where there, there's a guy, there's a police officer helping a powder blue members only jacket rushing toward the Marlboro truck. Mm. Right after that, it cuts to, right after that, it cuts to a man and a woman 
standing, there's like a sailor standing behind them. The guy in the suit looks just like Richard Dawson, who used to host Family <laughs> Feud. <laughs> Do you think it's him? I don't know. How, how could we have gone this far without anybody knowing that Richard Dawson was in Superman? Maybe it's not then. It can't be because somebody would have commented so, it on that. So much like him. But it looks so much like him. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I yeah, don't yeah. think it is, but it looks so much like him. I, had, <laughs> I did a double take just a few minutes ago. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I've got a, I've got something to talk about in a minute about some guest star. And I thought, well, maybe it's not. But now what you're saying about him, maybe it, it is. We'll talk about that in a minute, okay? Okay. All right. But the crowd, they think Superman's dead and they decide to retaliate. And in this moment where they start, you know, stalking forward towards the uh, three bad guys, I love that line. The guy who says, let's get them. I know judo. Right. And, you know, I love this because this is... Well, no, I love this because... I, I don't know if you've seen Spider-Man 2. Yes. The entire uh, Spider-Man 2. Yeah. This is, scene is echoed in that film when, when he, you know, on the, on the train. And yes. they, they turn on the guy as well. It just reminds me of that. And a lot of people have always compared the two because when Spider-Man 2 came out, everyone said it was the best superhero movie since Superman 2. And I just love this because I think this is just as much one of Superman's superpowers as anything is his ability. And again, as corny as that sounds, these people care about Superman because they know that he cares about them. And so they're yeah. willing to put themselves on the line because they've they've taken they've they've they think that they have killed their hero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I just love this moment in the film. I, is, is this in the Donner cut? I can't remember. Yeah. No, this is in both cuts. Yes. And, you know, we've had two films now of Superman and people know who Superman is and they react like this. This is what was always jarring for me in you know the superman versus batman film in that suddenly they think that he's this hero where they barely knew him in man of steel and you know now and, and they vilified him and now suddenly he's a great big hero even though you know there wasn't any backstory to that right yeah it yeah yeah, the less the better. <laughs> yeah let, let's leave it as an uh, okay anyway the 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 three kryptonians there they start to blow and that begins okay you know they start building up the wind and that begins okay but then we get this very silly comedy start coming in and this is the point where you can goes on goes on way too long yeah you're right you, you get a distinction now between the lester stuff and the Donna stuff, okay? So, the ice cream cone gag, you know, the guy eating the ice cream cone and it blows into the person's face next to him, that's not in the Donna version. So, that was made for Shocker. the Lester version. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, we got the two people coming out of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Again, product, product placement. placement. Yeah. Yep. Um, they seemingly have bought their food while all this is going on. You know, you've got all this destruction and they've gone into Kentucky Fried... Maybe it was a long queue... And it was a soundproofed, you know, restaurant. I don't know. Um, but they get blown down the road. And then the waitress comes out as they've forgotten their change. And she gets blown down the road too. Now, most of that is cut out. In the Donna version, they come out, they get blown away. All right. But it is very truncated compared to what you get in the Richard Lester version. One of the worst effects ice cream, because that is so obviously whipped cream or shaving cream. <laughs> There's no it is, to that isn't at all. It? Again, as a, as a former fat kid, I noticed things like this. <laughs> it's not real ice cream. 
All right, the next thing is the guy in the phone box that gets blown over and he's still quite starts, um, still talking and starts laughing. I don't know why he's laughing. That's totally Richard Lester. That's not in the Richard Donner version. Well, and this whole sequence reminds me, it just it sort of leads perfectly into the opening of Superman 3, that slapsticky opening. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the, with the woman walking down the street. So, you know, I don't know why anybody would be surprised by any of this. But, yeah, it. It's, I, to me, it just goes on a little too long. Uh, I am impressed with the uh, Kryptonians' breath control, though. <laughs> yeah. They've got a great career in opera ahead of them. Yeah. Um, another thing that's in the Lester version that's not in the Donna version is the couple losing their wigs. Right. Now, that was actually pretty funny. I'll give him that. The, the guy losing his toupee was one thing, but the woman losing her wig yeah. kind of made that a little wittier than it ordinarily okay. it would be. All right. But then we have the model street. You know, the model street with the model cars blowing along and they look kind of fake, you know, but you're sold by the excellent use of sound effects. Every time one of these model cars hits a model building or a street lamp, you know, you do get a really effective, authentic clang noise, you know. Sound sound can make all the difference when an, mm. for an effect to work. Sound can make all the difference. People don't uh, give sound designers enough credit. Yeah. Now, the this is the point where I noticed something, and I noticed this before I started researching the show. I, I, I noticed it back when I had it on DVD before Blu-ray, is that it's the people, right? I never noticed this in the cinema, okay? When you see these street scenes, you've got all the cars tumbling along. If you look in the background, there are people just in front of the shop windows, okay? And it's very clear that they are totally stationary and they are being moved along on a sort of like conveyor belt, if you like. Okay. There's obviously, these are like cutouts of people that are stuck onto a piece of plastic or card and they are being pulled along the road. Okay. Now, I'm guessing as they're in the background, you're not really supposed to notice them. And I never did. I can't remember in all the times I watched this in the cinema, noticing these very fake people walking along on a conveyor belt. But they're there. Have you noticed them, Jeff? Uh, if these are miniatures, those could be just mock-ups. Yeah, I think they I are like... I know exactly. Yeah. You're talking about on the, on the left side of the frame, right? Yeah, yeah. They walk past the brightly yeah, lit uh, street yeah, I th- uh, I think shop those windows. Are mannequins. Yeah, those yeah. are mannequins. They are that they are figures that are not moving as human beings. They are being pulled along, you know, on a conveyor belt sort it, of thing. I hadn't said anything. I never would have even. It never would have even. That's what occurred I'm saying. To me to look, but you're exactly and I, right. And I think this is the beauty of special effects in that when I watched it in the theatre on a 30, 40 foot wide screen, you're so busy looking at what's happening in the foreground, that's not meant to really be noticed. It's only now when you can study things and rewind things and watch them again that you notice things like this, you know? No, it's, it, I'm never going to not, I'm, I'm not going to be able to unsee it now. Every time it, I watch it, it's terrible, it's isn't it? Focusing on. Absolutely. Every time I look at that now, it's like, oh, look at them. I don't look at the cars anymore now. I don't look at anything in the foreground. I look at this conveyor belt <laughs> you know, of people going in the background. <laughs> and it's not just the once. It happens quite a few times um, if you watch this sequence, you know. On either side of the street. I'm seeing, yeah, on either side of the street, yeah. Yeah. That's but, bizarre. Yeah, but thinking about it now, it's kind of silly. If the wind is strong enough to blow cars through the air, 
all these people would be long gone. There'd be strawberry jam, wouldn't they? Smashed against the wall somewhere. Oh, absolutely. And which is why it's funny that, you know, we get that the shot of the people being blown back against. I guess it's supposed to be a building at the end of the street. Yeah. And they're all just like either rolling or being blown back. And you're absolutely right. Whereas we've got cars that are just blowing away. <laughs> why are these people planted to the ground? Why, why are they still breathing? If the wind is moving that fast, you wouldn't be able to breathe. <laughs> but the it's guy, a the comic guy book. The, the guy on the roller skates, I can kind of oh, see. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to mention him. The, the guy on the <laughs> roller skates, um, in the Richard Donner version, there you get, what, half a second of him. You don't get this whole, you know, turning around or anything. The camera does not linger. In the he doesn't Donner get a story version. of his own. He does not. He doesn't get a no. story of his own in the Richard Donner version. No. no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but he's got a sub. He's got almost a subplot in this one. No, indeed. Yeah, but Superman he comes out uh, from between the two vehicles. Now in the Donner cut, you get this massive, huge close-up of his S on his chest before you actually see him come out. But that's been removed for the Lester version. Well, you got to make room for jokes. This is very true. Yeah. You need you know you, you need the roller skating guy in the red spangly waistcoat, don't you? Yeah. So right. he People gets didn't up. Come to watch Superman. They came to watch the old the bald guy in the spangly uh, waistcoat. Yeah. Mm. All right, but Superman but I, I gets miss, up. I missed that. I missed that. S. I missed the S shot in the in the Lester cut though, because it is a nice. It's a nice image. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful image. But um, Superman, he gets up on top of the side of the bus there. And again, Christopher Reeve, you know, he, he's given it. You know, you really feel it. I mean, you know, he sags, he's exhausted, you know, before he takes off and flies away. You know, you really believe that he's almost at the end, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. He's just about, yeah. I feel like he's just about to give up and and he flies off. Yeah, and you get all the public going, oh, don't leave us. And, you know, Zod's saying, so, he is a coward after all. Now, just after that moment, we get something that I've always thought of. I I know you've got that on your computer there, but can you just check this for me, Jeff? Because I cannot, through through, you know, days and days of research for this episode, I cannot get any confirmation there is a woman standing alone you know, with sort of like orangey ginger hair, who says, don't leave us. Is that Shirley MacLaine? Or he says, this is right after he says that about, um, he's a coward after all. He is a coward after all. Yeah, there is a woman standing alone, and she says, looking up, she says, don't leave us. Hang on. (laughs) This is thrilling podcasting, this is. (laughs) You know, that doesn't look like Shirley MacLaine to me. It looks really? more like Fran- it looks more like Francis Fisher. Okay. Who was married to Clint Eastwood? Okay. I don't know. That looks like Shirley MacLaine to me. That really looks like Shirley MacLaine. But the- I can't find anything on on IMDb or anywhere who that woman is. Because she's got a prominent role there. She's standing alone. She's away from all the action. And the camera lingers on her. It, it infers that she is somebody, you know, other than an extra, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, she's definitely. It's a featured. It's a featured. It's a featured close-up. But yeah, yeah I, I can't. I cannot find anything about her being in the film. No, no, no. It's really weird. Again. Anybody who's listening to this, if you know who this woman is, <laughs> please let us know on Facebook. 
I'm on a mission at the moment. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to distract you with the show. You've, you've broken me, Eric. <laughs> I, I would lay money that that's Shirley MacLaine. That looks and, like late 70s Shirley MacLaine to me. But surely if that was the case, that would have come out by now, though. I can see her being yeah. uncredited at the time. But you but, would think it would be on a trivia section on something, wouldn't you? Yeah. No, I don't know. But yeah, she's, she's un, there's there's nobody that's credited. Nope. At and it's all. not on her page. It's not on her IMDb page. And I've Googled, you know, is Shirley MacLaine in Superman 2? And there's <laughs> that's nothing. That's exactly what I Googled and you didn't find anything. <laughs> Beating you to it, Jeff. No, no, no. There's no mention of her. But I would swear that Shirley MacLaine. It's either Shirley MacLaine or it's the girlfriend of one of the producers. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, again, as I say, anyone on Facebook who is more enlightened than us, can you please put us out of our misery? Are you yes, there, Jeff? Please. I'm here. <laughs> <Just wait. laughs> I know what you're doing. <laughs> All right, I even went to a page that said five things you may not know about Superman 2 and didn't find anything. No, I know. Maybe I am the very first to find it. You never know. But even then, you know, back in the, uh, the cinema release, I thought, oh, that's Shirley MacLaine. I'm sure it was her. It may be. It, I, the more I'm watching it, the more I'm thinking it does look more like her than I originally thought. Yeah. So I, that could be maybe maybe Richard Dawson and Shirley MacLaine are both in Superman two and it's just <laughs> a secret. All right, well let's let let's find it. It'd be great if this show actually is the show that um, explodes this piece of uh, trivia that nobody ever knew before. Yeah, we, we, we'll be the ones who out it. We did. Yeah, we'll get credit for it. Hooray! All right. All right, let's go on to behind the scenes. Uh, behind the scenes, uh, the flying scenes were again using the Soaptic front projection system, uh, which was created by Zoran Per... I can never say it. Perisic, who won a, an Oscar for Superman's visual effects. Although now, it seems to be with the Superman films, as each film comes out, they're less and less in quality, don't you think? I agree, and, and I think it's a budgetary thing. But you're right. Uh, you know, again, Superman four, the less said the better. Mm. But uh, it, it feels like they stopped trying to um, stop trying to innovate after the first one. It really yeah. is like, okay, we figured it out. No, no need to uh, move forward with this at all. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right because some of them are a bit shoddy, and in some of them, you know, the Richard Donner version where you have miniature you know, Kryptonians flying down miniature streets. It's a bit jarring because it's not what you're used to, but they do look a bit better to this front projection, rear projection, you know, hanging on a frame affair. Yes. It, yeah. Like I said, it, it, it works. Uh, and especially when you're a kid watching it, it worked just fine. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think even if you were an adult, you know, back then, you accepted it because we're looking at it now with so many more innovations and developments, you know, but I think back then it was fine. You don't think, Oh, this looks crap or anything like that, you know, and it's especially true with the miniature effects. Now the miniature effects were uh, by Derek Meddings and his crew. Now Derek Meddings, excuse me, ha had a huge uh, history and experience with the Jerry Anderson shows of realistically showing, you know, buildings and vehicles, you know, in miniature form. 
Okay. Um, now, oh, the, back the, then, the marionette shows, right? Yeah, the marionette shows, you know, the Captain Scarlets, the Thunderbirds, the Joe Knighties, the Stingrays. Okay. Yeah. Now, back then, um, when they made street scenes for, you know, the Captain Scarlet or Thunderbirds, the scale they were actually making the miniatures to was the scale of um, toy cars. All right. They made it to that scale because if you make the buildings to the scale of commercially available toy cars, you can then populate the street with toy cars very cheaply. You just go down to the shops and you buy some toy cars. Okay. But here, because obviously, you know, with miniature work, the bigger the miniature, the more realistic it looks. And I'll put photos up on Facebook. Facebook. The um, the models they made for this, the buildings and the vehicles, are huge. <laughs> they are massive. Are there, there are photos yeah, of they're, Derek... They're Emily. Yeah, there are photos of Derek Meddings and his crew down one of these, you know, um, streets of Metropolis, and the buildings are far, 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 far taller than they are. And the, you know, the tanker, you know, that Zod tries exploding and everything. I don't know what scale that is. That's about like one-eighth scale. It's not G.I. Joe scale. It's a bit smaller than G.I. Joe scale, but it's not far off. It's a G.I. Joe is one-sixth scale. This is about one-eighth scale. The, 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 the vehicles are massive. The buildings are massive. And because this is a different scale... Every one of those vehicles would have had to have been hand-built. You can't go to a shop and, and, and buy these. Everything that is in these scenes were handmade for these scenes. You kind of wonder if it wouldn't have been easier to just blow up the real thing. <laughs> I think it would have been point, quicker. It would have been more cost-effective. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it would have been quicker. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they are very impressive. You know, the miniature work in this. I mean, Derek Meddings, you know, was a genius and... You, you, you know, if you go back to, you know, 64, 65, you know, the miniature work he was doing on that and you watch that now and, you know, it, it, it's brilliant. And here we are, you know, at the end of the 70s and, you know, he's got more money and uh, he, all the techniques he was using in the early 60s are here at the end of the 70s still being used brilliantly and very, very effective. The The, the miniature work in this... Uh, I don't think you can fault at all, apart from those people. Oh, not at all. <laughs> yeah, no, the, yeah, the people, other than that, I, you could have told me that they were full-size vehicles and I would have believed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the other thing, the other bit of behind the scenes I've got, I don't know if you've got any, Jeff, but the only other thing I've got is that the uh, anti-smoking campaigners opposed the film as the largest sponsor of the film was, oh, what a surprise, Marlborough. Um, they, yeah, they paid $43,000 for the brand to be shown 22 times in this film. That logo turns up. Like I said, it, it, it's a while to uh, inundate people, yeah. Which is funny, <laughs> too, because if you do an inflation calculator from 1979 to 2018, I, say, I use the word only in quotes, in air quotes, but that only translates to $147,000 in today's no, money. That's not much when you consider how much money is splashed out on stuff now, is it? No, it's it's a bargain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> they got a deal. Dear, oh dear. I, I, I still struggle to get my head round product placement of cigarettes in a in a family film. That just would not happen now, I would it? I thought that was a good idea. 
You yeah, might as well have condoms in there and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> that's at least more responsible. It is more responsible. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. All right. Have Have you got any more behind the scenes, Jeff? Uh, no, I I, I uh, spilled all of that at the beginning. Other than um, uh, not really to do with X, but I just thought it was interesting that this film a had the biggest opening weekend in history at that point when it was released, mm-hmm. and was the third highest grossing film of 1981. Go on, tell us the other two. Well, well, the first one, as you might have guessed, was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. The second one that you might not have guessed was a little <laughs> film called On Golden Pond. You told me about that I am the, amazed. the other week. I am amazed by that. <laughs> $200 million, and it's based on a very small play, stars... Older actors, it was uh, Catherine Hepburn and Henry Fonda, who both won Oscars for it. Uh, by all accounts, is a is kind of a slight film. You you watch it for their performances. Right. Uh, I I have to admit, I, in 1981, why would I want to watch On Golden Pond? But I had no idea that it was the box office phenomenon that it was. Oh man, when you, you you let me know that, and it's like really. And the only memory I have of that film is you know. Being a projectionist back then, you know, it was brilliant. You know, you get paid to watch films that you love. But but sometimes you would get paid to watch films that you don't want to watch. And whatever they're paying you is not enough. And On Golden Pond was one of them. That was the sort of film. That was the film when I'm watching it and I'm thinking the sentiment behind it is, oh, isn't it lovely these two are still alive? You know, (laughs) that was about it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, oh, I can't believe that's number two for that whole year. Well, and it's interesting. I always think about Superman 2 as being a 1980 release because that's when it was released, I think, in Australia and somewhere else. But it didn't come out until 1981 everywhere else. So right. I always see it as a 1980 film, but it actually like it you know, in, in, in America. And I think even in, in England, it, it uh, was actually released in 81. Yeah, so, it was. Yeah. And it's interesting that it, it had the the biggest opening weekend of all time to that point because this was after the empire strikes back yes but i think i think it benefited from the empire strikes back because people the empire strikes back was even though star wars was such a phenomenon people weren't sure how the sequel was going to be uh, be received kenner toys even didn't have that many toys ready for release when return of the jedi came out they had all the toys out on shelves right. when the film had hit theaters but at this point people were still sort of unsure so a year later theater owners and the the studios knew okay sequels can make just as much if not more than the original so they probably i'm assuming opened this on way more screens than the empire strikes back did right right which accounted for that highest opening weekend right my only other anecdote i've got for this episode is you know when i said about you know i i went to see it and i was so euphoric and ran down the street that was the (laughs) cinema um a year later i started as being a projectionist okay so i saw it as a patron paying money uh a year later i was a projectionist and a little bit after that we had a double bill of uh superman one and superman two all right that's amazing it was amazing but the, the the worst thing about it i don't know if you're of an age jeff where you used to go to see films and you would have a double bill and Basically, you watch the first film, and then you would have an advert break, right? Um, and then you, basically what you did was you showed the first film, you had an advert break, which was your 
advert for your ice cream and your drinks and your hot dogs. Then the and projector your would. Cuts. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's coming up. Um, okay. So, so yeah, you had your you had your first film, three adverts for the things you can buy in the foyer. The projector would stop for ten minutes, right? You'd have your adverts with your silk cuts and stuff, and then you'd go into the second film. So I always remember with this double bill, um, Superman at the time when Superman first came out, it had the longest credits of all time. I think it was like ten and a half minutes or something. Right. You know. It so was the first what, one, yeah. Yeah, and that's fine if you're watching just Superman, but with this double bill, you watch the first one, you had ten minutes or more of credits, then th- three adverts, then it would stop, right? Then you would have ten minutes of adverts, and then you would go into the film and what do you see at the beginning of Superman 2, you have a recap of Superman oh, 1. <laughs> so, so, so then you had to sit through like five minutes reminding you of the film that you've just watched. You know? <laughs> so the there, you've got almost a half hour break in between if you really want. Exactly, exactly. So If you're a patron. That was my first abiding men- memory. The second abiding memory was the poster that we had for this double bill it was a brilliant poster and all it was it was artwork of uh clark kent's chest uh pulling apart the shirt to reveal the s underneath okay and it was a beautiful piece of artwork okay and i gave it away why would you do that exactly (laughs) (laughs) because i was a bloody idiot that was a beautiful poster and i i kept it for a very long time and i just gave it away and it's like Oh man, I, why can't what what why? <laughs> you know, I so wish I still had. But just that. think of all the joy it brought to the person who has it now. Yeah, but think sp- of it that way. They just threw it away. You know, I don't know. I was a bloody idiot. Okay. So they are my abiding <laughs> memories of um, showing it as a projectionist. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Right. We're going to go into the rating now, Jeff. So. Okay. Bearing in mind everything we've been saying about, you know, what we thought of it back then when we first saw it and what we're watching now, what would you give it out of 10? Out of 10, I would give this sequence, I'm going to rate it lower than I would have thought before you brought the uh, mannequins to my attention. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, again, I think I think it's wonderful for for the time, and I think it held up, and it holds up fairly well. Uh, the problems I have with it really have to do with pacing, right? So I'm going to give this. If we're just talking effects, this gets a seven out of ten for me. And the only reason I'm not rating it higher is because of the very noticeable things like the the uh, the, the, the mannequins on the conveyor belt and that ice cream that clearly not ice cream <laughs> is just really sticking in my craw. <laughs> All you, don't, right. you don't mess with a fat kid dessert. No, 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 you do not. No, yeah. Well, I, I think, I mean, the miniature work is superb, um, but some of the flying scenes are a bit dodgy, and then you've got the dummy as well, the dummy Zod. And uh, for all those reasons, I'm matching you in a seven, okay? All right. All right, I, and I think that's all right. Seven out of ten, I, th- I think, is is okay, don't you? Oh, absolutely, especially because, again, this was... This was the second one. They sort of felt like the effects, This, at least the flying effects, took a backseat to everything 
Scouts this time around, which we talked about. They yeah. spent a lot of money on the miniatures because I think they just figured out, hey, we got the flying nail, let's move on to something else. Yeah. And it's not it's not like when you build it's not like when you build a digital animated character that you can reuse. You've still got to to work to refine. But All right. I think seven out of ten is perfectly respectable. Yeah, fine. That's a good place to end it. All right. Okay, well thank you for today there, Jeff. Uh, thank you for having me on. I had a good time. Good, 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 good. And thank you, everyone. Anyone out there who knows if Richard Lawson or Shirley MacLaine were in this film, please go to Facebook and let us know. All right? And, uh, yeah, we'll speak to you all soon, okay? Cheers then, Jeff. Cheers then, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.